Welcome to the Alpha Dude Podcast with Michael Pulser. What would it be like if you knew that you were unstoppable and you could live life on your terms? Better yet, how good would it feel knowing that on your deathbed, you had fulfilled all your potential and more? Life on Earth has a beginning and an end. It's what you do in the middle that counts. Let's look at how to make that part even better. NLP, in my experience, is best used to build up a power base or provide an addition to personal growth. As mentioned earlier, it is imperative to remove or subtract weak and unhelpful parts. Otherwise, these will be amplified later on. NLP, of course, may be used to assist in this process, but for that particular application, it is best done with the guidance of a professional therapist. So, what is NLP? Neuro-linguistic programming is studying the way in which we work. Understanding the hows allows us to make the most efficient use of our lives. Perhaps you want to achieve something from an emotional state to a goal, or to live the life in a way you wish. Maybe you need to find out what it is you really want. NLP can help with all of these things and more. Everyone should know NLP because it is the instruction manual for life. The analogy of driving a car without reading instructions on how to drive has been used in the past, but I like to think more of NLP as a way to understand systems, that's yourself and others, and realizing how they work, and then to make them work more effectively. Almost anyone familiar with self-help will have likely come across NLP in some form, even if it includes systems that uses principles under different names. Anthony Robbins, Paul McKenna, and many others all use this. It strikes me as funny that there is some debate over the usefulness of NLP as a modality. There is so much information coming to us all the time, and one could be forgiven for mistaking that NLP is very similar to CBT. CBT, if you've heard of it, cognitive behavior therapy is the most evidence-based approach to psychology that we have today, but simply because it has been researched the most. There's a massive overlap and there's some unique elements to NLP that I'm sure you'll find useful. I remember several years ago, I joined up an NLP group and this, this example is to illustrate its weaknesses as well. And the leader of the group, went through a phobia cure with someone in the group. Now, it worked like a dream. The subject, however, was a likable and agreeable person who I commented later on to him that it was a wonderful subject for such an exercise. The leader looked indignant and informed me that it was indeed his experience that he had a 100% success rate with all NLP techniques with all people. The next year... That perfect record, the poor leader was shattered as he fell into personal issues that NLP could not cure. It's not a panacea, but then again, if you got this far in this system, I guess you would have enough discernment to see this. Basically, NLP works in that we have five senses, and these senses make sense of the world we live in. Remembered or projected thoughts is simply a matter of recalling these five senses and their experiences in their past and then flipping them around. 
So for example, think of a dog. Now imagine a good attack dog. Your thoughts will go through the experiences associated with attack and dog and make up an attack dog. Going through variations of excellence, you will come up with a good attack dog, at least in your mind's eye. The final imagined attack dog likely has several attributes that are all defined by the five senses. Perhaps he is a large, black, big dog with huge teeth and a deep growl and a menacing look. The five senses are used, and this creates our world. And as we all share five senses, but come from different perspectives, we all have different understandings that those around us are both similar and different to each of us. The five senses have different characteristics within themselves. Making changes in our five senses makes changes in our lives. Turn up your favorite song and you'll no doubt feel it more. Go to the cinema and the movie is far better than if you were watching it on your little iPhone. This is five senses and reality meeting each other. When you go inside your mind and interpret reality through thoughts, we do so in utilizing your five senses. Now, our attack dog, as mentioned earlier, may have objective features such as being black. However, the subjective features should also be noticed. If the dog is in an extreme close-up, no doubt it will be much scarier than if it was miles away. This can also apply to how we think about ourselves. If you think about a past achievement, let's say you won an award. If you see it in your mind as you relive the experience, a distant black and white photo of the occasion will no doubt have far less impact than if you were to see the same situation with bright vivid colors, close-up shots of the situation, and the memory playing in movie form rather than a still frame or snapshot. Now, combine this with everything else you have. For example, hearing. While receiving the award, you can hear the cheers. They can be louder and more clear. The content might be more positive with messages like, you rule. Perhaps you can add your own music in the background, maybe a fanfare, your favorite song, pumping you up as you go there. And there are three more senses to go. You're receiving the award, and while you're on stage, you can smell the fresh-cut grass around the oval, or perhaps afterwards you smell your favorite meal cooking, waiting for you to eat it when you finish getting your reward. If this food is a roast, for example, then the roast smell can fill the air. Make it one of those really yummy smelling roasts with all the flavors in the air. Then imagine you're tasting the roast and it is perfect. The taste is perfect consistency and spiced just right. While ignoring the fact that you are getting an award, you can taste the juicy meat in your mouth. Finally, feeling. While on stage, you can perhaps feel one of those gusts of air that makes you feel high. Perfect weather. Comfortable cotton clothes on your skin. Holding the prize in your hand. Whatever you need to get there, use it. Without knowing that NLP was actually a branch of psychology or what was it all about, just realize that you do this all the time. However, if you do it consciously, you can really take the experience of life. 
relive and create experiences in life using your five senses and do it more powerfully. So what now? Well, this is where it gets a little complicated. To understand the five senses, there are processes, neurological and others. These are represented in language patterns. As animals, we can understand others' primal emotions through the five senses. If someone is in pain, then they cry. Uh, We are actually more advanced than animals and we can talk. This means that we can make sense of our senses in a deeper way. Combined with contributing to abstract thought and processing information, we come to the next phase of NLP, communication. Through communication, we make sense of our five senses to ourselves and to others. We do this with direct and indirect processing. As humans, as I've mentioned before, we can only focus on five to nine pieces of information consciously at one time. That is why in mindfulness practice, once you focus on several things, the five to nine things that you focus on suddenly bring you back to the present. Subconsciously, as I mentioned, we take in a lot more. Thousands of pieces of information are always available. Characteristics of the environment, inanimate and animate objects within the environment, and the user's own mental processes means that these five to nine pieces of information had better be relevant. We do this through three processes, generalizations, deletions, and distortion. Generalizations. To see a dog allows us to know what a dog is. So upon seeing another animal with four feet that's hairy and barks a lot, it allows us to generalize that that particular animal belongs to the group known as dog. The next one is deletions. While driving, you may see dozens of cars in your direct field of vision going your direction and another dozen going the opposite direction. To use your valuable five to nine conscious processing bits of information on what's happening around you means that you cannot focus on all of these cars, otherwise you'll be distracted from the things that are most pertinent. You can't focus on that tree that you would be about to hit if you didn't turn. By saying to yourself, hmm, there are cars and focusing on those closest, you're able to delete and focus on the other 50 million cars on the roads and distractions and pay attention to things that really matter. We do it all the time. The next one is distortions. This takes advantage of creativity. To be able to make changes in your minds, firstly, then you can recognize changes in your reality. So an example is if a friend calls you up on the phone and they're trying to prank you with a phony voice, you can usually spot it because you associate what you know about your friend's voice with the imagined distortion of what their voice could sound like, and consequently the joke failed. Without distortion, you would never recognize that friend that you went to school with at the reunion when they're balding and they look different. Distortions are very handy, as are all of the processing functioning. So now we understand, one, everything is processed through the five senses. Number two, we can enhance or reduce 
our reactions to the senses through changing the qualities of each sense. We can do this internally, such as thinking brighter thoughts or brighter pictures, or externally, and that's when you turn up the volume louder. We process the five senses with generalizations, deletions, and distortions. And now we come to the fact that we can alter the processing. For me, this is the basis of what NLP is all about, finding out the what and then altering it to suit. We may generalize that people are bad, for example, after being ripped off. We might delete the positive things in life that makes us feel depressed. We can distort reality and see this world as a poor place to live. The way we use our processes are empowering or defeating. A better way to do this would be to build supportive attitudes in our processes. This is where all the self-help stuff comes in. You can do whatever you want. This is the power to make changes in our lives. The realization that we have the power is the basis of the secret and self-help in general. So how do we do this? Number one, we generalize empowerment. And an example would be that we generalize that people love us. Number two, we delete negativity. So an example of this would be that we delete those thoughts where you failed and replace them with past successes. Number three, distort reality for your benefit. So you could imagine a role model in a certain situation and then when you apply the qualities of the role model to yourself, it is a distortion of reality that may be helpful in your life. Anyway, you will always be processing reality and the way you process reality will affect you, be it positive or negative. In this episode, we looked at NLP and how the mind works. This falls into the category of mental qualities. Mental qualities plus moral qualities equals character. And our next guest is here to help us solve this aspect of the equation. Our guest today, Greg Kokul, is the founder of the organization Stand to Reason and is one of the most interesting people I know. With two MAs and an incredible command of logic and reason, he has developed an ambassador model to help people grow proportionally with the knowledge that we get. If you get a chance, look up on YouTube. He has this amazing debate with Deepak Chopra, and Greg is quite dominant in it, displaying both logic and reason, yet this incredible character virtue that he preaches. Something I want to mention is that his focus is on Christianity. So Christians, welcome home. And to everyone else, we can all learn something from his approaches, as we have in past interviews with others who practice Buddhism or teach other secular teachings. Here's Greg. Hi, I'm Greg Kokel, the founder and president of Stand to Reason. And our organization does something very particular. We train Christians to think more carefully about their convictions and then to offer a reasonable and gracious defense for classical Christianity and classical Christian values. I went over that because there's a particular 
detail in there that I want to focus on for a few moments that you may find helpful, regardless of your own personal convictions. And that has to do with the way that we defend our convictions. Uh, even the word defend sounds a little abrasive, you know. It's circle the wagons, uh, ready, aim, fire kind of thing. And that's not my view at all. What we're trying to do at our organization is to build a certain type of person that is able to speak in favor of their convictions as Christians. We call that person an ambassador. And if you think for a quick moment, uh, if you were a sovereign who is choosing a certain person to represent you as an ambassador, you'd want that person to have a couple of different skills. You'd want them to know a few things, first of all, know your message and something about foreign policy, whatever. But you'd also want that person to be able to maneuver carefully and shrewdly in conversation uh, to to be able to make that knowledge palatable to other people. But there's a third quality, not just the knowledge and not just a kind of a tactical wisdom, but if it turns out your ambassador is a womanizer or a drunk or just plain rude, now you can see how the character is going to undermine the effectiveness of that ambassador to do his or her job well. And so on our, on our way of approaching it, the kind of individual we're trying to produce is somebody who has knowledge, which is what we characterize as an accurately informed mind, wisdom, which is an artful method, and character, an attractive manner. And I want to spend the rest of my time here just talking specifically about that character component. Lots of times when people think about character, they think about honesty and personal integrity and uh, doing what's right when everybody else wants you to do what's wrong and that kind of thing. And of course, I certainly value that, but that's not exactly what I have in mind when I talk about character in an ambassador. I'm talking about the way a person comports themselves, and this is especially applicable if you're involved in a persuasive enterprise which many of us are, regardless of whether it's religious or non-religious, regardless of our own individual, philosophic, or spiritual convictions. We find ourselves in a position where we want to persuade someone else of something important, okay? And this is where the manner that you present your ideas in can either make or break the occasion, Hopefully your ideas are good ones. Hopefully they're well defended or well substantiated. Hopefully they are also communicated in a, in a winsome and attractive manner. Now, when I think of the people I train to be good ambassadors, especially in the character area, I think of two different things. That is two different extremes that we fall into. And the way I characterize it is simply that sometimes when Christians, and you can make your own application to your own life, but when Christians engage in dialogue with other people, they are either too naughty or too nice. In other words, they're either too offensive or, in a certain sense, they're not 
offensive enough, and I'll clarify what I mean by that. On the one hand, sometimes when we have strong convictions about things, and we are proud of our convictions, and we are convinced that we are right, and we think everybody else should think the way we do. And by the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with having convictions like that. In fact, everybody who believes anything thinks they're right about what they believe. That's what it means to believe something, to think that you're right about it. Okay? So there's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes the force of our convictions causes us to be too forceful in conversations with other people. Okay? And we end up stepping on toes in ways that are not helpful if our goal is to persuade the other side. And so sometimes we just have to be alert that we're not too naughty. And what I mean by that is that we we don't care what anybody thinks. We're just going to roll out. And if we offend people, too bad, because we're right. Well, that's not going to do if you want to be a good ambassador, if you want to be effective at persuading people. Okay? We are not to be bullies, to put it simply. Um, In fact, the New Testament writers had something to say about this. Peter the Apostle said that we ought to be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks us to give an account for the hope that's in us, but do it with gentleness and reverence. Why did he say that? Well, first of all, it's good manners. (laughs) It's virtuous. It's also good strategy because it makes your point of view more effective, more believable. Uh, the, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, said something similar. He said that if you're going to serve the Lord Jesus, then don't go out quarreling with people. It's not going to work. But rather be kind, able to be patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Notice, in neither case are they saying you should be wishy-washy about your convictions. No, they were solid about what they thought was really true, but they were careful about how they communicated it. And in a practical sense in my own life, sometimes what that means for me is I have to be willing to tell somebody that I'm discussing things with that they've got a good point. You know why? Because sometimes people who disagree with us do have good points. Why not give them credit for that? That softens the discussion. It's gracious gracious, it's, uh, and generous, and, and it's probably true <laughs> if they have a good point. Sometimes I need to be able to say, you know, I could be wrong about this. Why would I say something like that? Because... I actually have been wrong a few times in the past. And even on important issues, it's, in principle, I could be mistaken. Now, I'm not making it up. I'm, in my case, I'm not socialized into my views. I have reasons for them, but I still could be mistaken. That means I'm willing to listen to the other side and do it in a polite way and let them have their say so I can consider it. So on the one hand, we shouldn't be too naughty. We shouldn't be bullies. On the other hand, sometimes we're too nice. Now, this is especially true of Christians because there is an ethic about kindness and love and grace, etc., that Jesus 
manifested in his own life. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's the only thing we take away. It's important, but it's not the only thing that's there. Jesus got himself killed because he said things that other people didn't like. So it wasn't all sweetness and light from Jesus. And there are times when there are things that are so important, they are so weighty, that we need to communicate them with clarity and a directness that people don't miss. It doesn't mean that we have to be mean and nasty. It does mean, though, that when there's a lot on the line and the issue is weighty and our reasons for our view are good ones, that we should be willing to speak directly and clearly regarding that thing and then let the chips fall where they may. A good ambassador is not committed to making people feel good all the time, especially when the thing that they end up feeling good about is not good for them. A good ambassador is someone who cares enough about his ideas and the people to whom he's speaking that he's willing to be gracious and not a bully, but he's also careful not to be so nice that they don't get the gravity of the weighty thing that they're dealing with. This is a huge problem in our culture, which I think inappropriately values a kind of niceness and agreement that they call tolerance. That is, oh, you approve of everything of everybody. Well, that's a way of playing it safe, but it's no way to have an impact. You believe in something good and right and true? The best way to communicate that is using an ambassador model, and one element of the ambassador model is character and attractive manner. Not too naughty and not too nice. I'm Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If so, rate it from the place you downloaded it. For any questions, send an email to michaelpulser at gmail.com. If you liked the podcast so far, you will love Michael Pulser's new book coming out soon, Alpha Dude Personal Upgrade. In this text, we look deeper at the Alpha Dude system with many not-seen-before tools and techniques which will upgrade you so you can fulfill your potential. Stay tuned for details.